about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hi, my name's Yo. I'll be doing the second reading, which is Acts 4, 1 to 31, on page 1080. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then we know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Israel knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in, his, in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. 
Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, Again, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would Show us why we ought and enable us to speak your word boldly by the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, there's no doubt that one of the things that distinguishes uh, the Christian faith is that it is a missionary faith. Uh, Not all other religions are like that, actually. There are plenty of faiths that are content to just be in their own patch and, and look after their own people and that have no great aspirations to expand. Uh, there are, of course, other missionary faiths than, than Christianity. Uh, I don't mean to deny that, but simply to notice that it is definitely and deeply true of the Christian faith that it is a missionary faith. Christianity has always been kind of expansionist, looking to make converts, seeking to spread its message and teachings. Now, in our day, this is, as I'm sure you're aware, this is a bit on PC. Uh, On the whole, we kind of prefer the idea of boutique faiths that keep to themselves. Um, You know, live and let lives. Religion, we'd like to treat religion kind of in the way we treat somebody's kind of traditional culture. It's okay, you know, good, good, we we can respect that, but as long as it doesn't kind of impinge on things too much. Um, It is one of the things that I think tends to really annoy people. Uh, today about Christians, how they keep kind of muscling in on conversations. They keep, you know, putting their perspective and making their way into things. We see this reaction uh, particularly in the general hostility towards the idea of proselytizing. Do you know that word, proselytizing? Uh, it means make, seeking to make converts is what the word means. Um, it's basically a code word for Uh, any attempt to convert somebody to your way of thinking or your religion. Um, And it's on the nose for a lot of people. In fact, in all sorts of ways, there's kind of covert, you know, subtle undercover moves to make any kind of proselytizing illegal uh, in various contexts. Um, Few people, I think, seem to notice that if you can't tolerate somebody's freedom to try to persuade you of a different view, then you can't actually have free speech if you can't tolerate that. What's also often forgotten, though, is that um, behind all this kind of apparently you know, powerful missionary activity is and proselytizing is just ordinary people. Ordinary people, ordinary Christians sharing their faith and speaking about Jesus. Ordinary Christian men and women showing what the Bible calls boldness. And the funny thing is that in my experience, hardly any of these ordinary Christian people, hardly any of us, ever feel very bold at all. 
If you're a Christian, I wonder how you feel about the word boldness. How does it make you feel? Does it kind of fill you with excitement like a war cry, you know, making you want to do some more proselytizing, bloodlust for sharing the gospel? I don't, you know, I doubt it. Uh, I doubt that's your reaction. Mostly I think Christian people feel decidedly kind of unbold, actually. Uh, timid sometimes, a bit nervous. Uh, I was hoping we'd have another skit about Samantha and Barry, but you know, Samantha's actually not a bad example of what we feel like a lot of the time. You know, not very confident, a bit bumbling, a bit confused, and yet, in one way or another, we do feel that we ought to at least try to be a bit more bold. Well, this evening, can I invite you to have a think about this idea of boldness? The passage before us this evening, Acts chapter 4, I hope you have it open, because uh, it's a long passage and we'll, we'll go to different bits of it, page 1080. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a terrific passage and it's, all, it's a tale of great boldness, essentially. Boldness to speak about Jesus even before the very authorities that put him to death. I hope it will help us think about this whole aspect of Christian faith more sensibly. Uh, We're going to learn three things tonight. Three things. First, we're going to learn what boldness is. What boldness is. Second, where it comes from. And third, why it matters. What boldness is, where it comes from, and why it matters. Okay, come with me as we look at this passage uh, under those headings. First, what is boldness? The passage is, uh, as we've said, a tale of boldness. In verse 13, if you've got it there, uh, we read uh, that the authorities were shocked by the courage of Peter and John. It's actually the same word as is translated boldness down in verse 29. Do you see that down in verse 29? Uh, Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Same word, although courage is no problem with the translation. perfectly good translation. So let's begin by asking, what is this courage? What is courage? What, what does boldness actually mean? Well, our passage begins with Peter and John being put in what must have been a terrifying situation. In verses 1 to 3, they're seized and put in jail because they were speaking about the resurrection. The resurrection. This was one of the key points of conflict in the Judaism of the time, and it was particularly despised by the temple authorities, the guys who are talked about in verse 1 there, the Sadducees and the temple guard. Um, They really hated this, uh, and in fact, Jesus had got into trouble on exactly this point. Why? Because these guys were the guys who were in power, and believing in resurrection is politically dangerous. If you believe in resurrection, you see, you're liable to do anything and risk anything, as Jesus did. Uh, This is one of the points of this passage, actually, that shows us that early Christianity was actually politically very radical. But anyway, there's this summary arrest uh, because, uh, to get them to shut up because there's no time for a trial until the next day. But the next day they're gathered before a serious tribunal. See it there in verses 5 to 6? The next day the rulers, verse 5, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, uh, was there. He's actually the high priest emeritus. He'd been ousted, but he still wielded power. Um, And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. 
Now, make no mistake, these are the guys who killed Jesus. These are the guys. Peter and John would have had no doubts or false expectations here. It was only weeks ago that they had been there at that sham, pathetic kangaroo court trial held at night in the high priest's house where they'd where they declared him guilty of blasphemy. You know, they, they were outside. They'd seen what had happened to a man much better than them. Moreover, they, they, that's not the only reason they would have been intimidated. They were outclassed, right? This is a serious tribunal. Um, think about what it would be like for probably any one of us, or there's a few people with PhDs and stuff, so maybe not them, but the kind of normal folk among us, if we were kind of suddenly called before the Sydney University Senate and, they're all, and we're standing, they're all looking down at us with all their degrees and honours, maybe if they're wearing their robes as well, so it's like really scary. You know, these guys are, these guys are, are kind of fishermen from Galilee. You know, in fact, it's even more. Think about if you were like a, some normal, you know, like you're a mechanic from Narrabri, where my sister lives, and you're standing before the Senate and it'd be scary, Right? But Peter is not deterred. Peter's not deterred. And before them all, he speaks. Verse 9. And it's a great speech. Actually, verse 8. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This is not a speech designed to candy favour or to throw their subversive activity in the best possible light. He is not sucking up to them. Uh, First, he has a go at them by implying they've been hauled. It's kind of like a joke. Oh, you've hauled us in for being nice to someone. You know, that's big of you. And then he declares, kind of full voice, that, well, if you must know, we're acting in the name of the guy you just killed. Oh, but he's alive again. Now, I think it would be a mistake to conclude from Peter's courage, from his boldness, that he was not afraid. This must have been a terrifying situation for him and John, as well as for all the believers who were waiting on the outcome. I have no doubt, actually, that they felt very fearful. And yet they did what was right. They spoke. They bore witness. And brothers and sisters, this is what courage is. Boldness is not about whether or not you feel afraid. It's about what you do with it. If, you know, if it wasn't a situation that felt scary, you wouldn't need courage, Right? Courage, boldness, is about doing the right thing even in the face of fear. We see this again in Peter and John's response to the verdict. Uh, the authorities send them out to deliberate, and they go, what are we going to do? And they call them back in in verse 18. They call them back in, and they order them to stop speaking to Jesus. The order is given in no uncertain terms. You see it there? They, uh, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Kind of a different types. Don't speak, also don't teach, and not at all in the name of Jesus, right? So, you know, they know what it means. 
But Peter and John, again, are not deterred. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. This is one of the great moments in the Bible, I think. I don't think it was easy for them to say this. But I I think they just saw with crystal clarity that there was no point mucking about with this. They were not going to lie. They just, they just were not going to do that. Uh, just as an aside, this is another point that ought to kind of register in our thinking about Christianity and politics. People often think that Christian faith is purely conservative and it is all about obeying authority and, and it's never a threat to the status quo or anything. But this is simply not true. There are indeed passages in the Bible that speak of submitting to rulers and authorities, but that's only because we are so aware that we cannot do that in any final sense. We, and, and there are very obvious limits to do that. And so where we can do it, we may as well do it, because we're going to bump up against places we can't do it all over the place. And because when it comes to a clash of authorities, you see, for Christians, there's just between God and humans... There's just no conflict. We must obey God rather than men. Sorry, can't do that. What are you going to do? Kill us? Well, you tried that with Jesus and it didn't work out so well. So, you know, we can be ready for that. There is nothing more politically radical than believing in resurrection. But back to our main theme. What we see here is that boldness is not about not feeling fear. It's about not being deterred by fear. It's not about not feeling fear. It's it's about not being deterred by fear, not being determined by your fears. We see the same thing again in the believer's prayer at the end of the passage, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I love that. They say, consider their threats, Lord. Like They were real threats. They were scary. The believers are praying. They've made these threats, Lord. Can you make sure you hear them and now enable us to speak with boldness? They didn't want their fears to win the day. It's not that they didn't feel any fear, but they prayed that they'd be able to do the right thing despite that. What does that mean for us? Well, for now, simply this. Friends, if you are afraid, if when stuff about Jesus comes up and you feel fear, you feel nervous, it doesn't mean that you are failing or that you can't be bold. What matters is what you do with it. What you do with it. It's not whether you feel afraid, but whether you let it determine you whether you let it determine your freedom to act. Okay, that leads to our second point, though. What makes the difference? That's all well and good, but where does boldness to speak like this come from? What, What can stop us from letting our fears determine us? Well, the first and most important answer is that it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter, we're told in verse eight, verse eight there, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 31, we hear this again. Have a look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
boldness to speak, the kind of courage we see here is a work of God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can and does give people a power and resolve to speak and to do what is right beyond what comes naturally to them. And even in the face of their fears. Nowhere is this clearer than in Peter's case, I think. You know, we should remember, right, only weeks before, at the death of Jesus, he had been the picture of cowardice. Denying three times that he knew Jesus only moments before he swore faithfulness to him unto death. In fact, the text, I think, draws it, it's almost like it, it reflects this really beautifully. Have a look at verse 13. See, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It's like, it's the exact opposite of before. Peter was asked whether he's with Jesus. He says no three times. Now, he he gets to speak boldly and the upshot is he gets identified as one of Jesus' people. It's such a striking contrast, actually, that I think it's remarkable. It's so remarkable, it's hard to account for it on any basis other than that Peter was remarkably changed by God. The Holy Spirit can give even the most cowardly of us great courage. But in this passage, I think we also get to see an important aspect of how the Holy Spirit gives this gift of boldness. It's through people having a clear understanding, a clear understanding of who Jesus is. For it's obvious, isn't it, that that what motivated Peter here and what gave him courage were his convictions about Jesus. In the course of his speech before the authorities, Peter quotes Psalm 118. Have a look at it there, verse 11. He quotes it there, he says, he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, changes it actually. In Psalm 118, it says the stone, the builders, but he puts in a you. The stone you builders, just so that in case they didn't get the point, rejected, which has become the capstone. Peter's using uh, the Old Testament. In fact, it's a passage that Jesus himself had used. And he's making a profound and, and really deeply offensive claim for them about Jesus. Though you authorities rejected him, he's saying... He is, in fact, the center, the foundation of God's work, the heart of God's plan. The stone, he's the stone the builders discard, the the bit that they look at and put in the skip, and God chooses it to be the centerpiece of what he's at work on. Peter is utterly convinced, you see, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one around whom God's purposes revolve. We see the same conviction in the prayer of the believers. Have a look down at verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices. That's when they heard that Peter and John had been released. They raised their voices together in prayer and said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they're quoting Psalm 2, our our first reading. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one or his Messiah. They're quoting Psalm 2, of course, because they they just, it's it's so 
obviously what's happening to them. You know, they read the psalm and they think, oh, okay, this is what it was speaking about. Um, You know, they're experiencing it. The rulers trying to resist God's Messiah, his anointed one, the Christ, rising up against him. They know Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus is the one who, in Psalm 2, God has enthroned as king and whose rule is so secure that God actually just laughs at the opposition. Do you see again how politically subversive, authentic Christian faith really is? It says to authorities, oh yeah, 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 you have power, but did you know there's a king uh, who is, is, is your king, even if you don't like it, and if you resist him, you're dead, uh, but you could, you know, you could choose to kiss him. They're your choices. That's authentic Christian faith. Their boldness, you see, flows out of their convictions about Jesus. And the way that just changed the way they looked at things. This is part of how the Holy Spirit gives the gift of boldness, you see, by convicting us of who Jesus is and what he really means. And of what our fears really add up to before his resurrection. If we are not bold, part of the reason for this might be that we have lost sight of who Jesus is. And what he really means. It's not that we don't know these things in theory, right? We don't know what the Bible says about Jesus. We haven't heard it. You know, we know it. But it's that those truths are not present to us in a real way so that we see things in the light of them. Because when you know, when you really grasp that Jesus is God's exalted king, the Messiah, when that truth becomes not just a kind of Bible idea, but something you see as really true about the world, well, it changes your perspective. And these convictions are also why boldness matters. This is our third point. Why does boldness matter? Why that is, why that is, is, it, is boldness something we should be concerned about? And not say just something we, you know, we might or might have. We might or might not be courageous, whatever. Why is boldness something we should want? Something we should, as the early believers do here, pray for? Well, the answer is that boldness matters because if Jesus really is the king, if Jesus really is the Messiah, then he is the only true hope for the world. And so he must be made known. Verse 12, Peter continues by saying, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is God's plan. He is God's offer. He is what God has done to save the world. There is no plan B. This is why the believers in verse 29 prayed for boldness to to speak despite the threats they were facing because, you know, despite the array of power arranged against them because they had understood who Jesus is and what he means. He's the Messiah. 
God's saviour king. He's the one in whom salvation has come to the world and so whose name means life. He is the one and so there is no other. Now, it's important to be clear here, right? The Christi- this is an offensive part of Christianity, of course, but the Christian claim that Jesus is the only way it is not a claim about Christians or and, and, you know, how good we are or about how smart Christians are or something or how, how clever Christians are to have worked it out. That's all nonsense. No, the Christian claim that Jesus is the way is a claim from start to finish about Jesus, about who he is and what he means. It's a claim that Jesus is God's Messiah, the one in whom the God who made heaven and earth is acting and has acted to bring salvation to the world. And if that is who Jesus is, then there can be no alternative. Jesus is God's offer, and if people will not have him, they will not have anything. If you're not a Christian, please hear this message most of all. Christians don't speak and make a nuisance of themselves just because we think we're pretty awesome or have really interesting things to say. We speak. We try to share because we genuinely think that God the Creator has done something in Jesus, in this specific place, this person. It can seem as if that couldn't be right, right? That if God were to make himself known, surely he should just do the do that in, in a way that's available for everyone, it's the same for everyone. It can seem like that. And, and before Jesus, it might have been possible to think that. But when God sends his one and only beloved son to be born as a man and to suffer horrific death, as our substitute and then raises him from the dead and sets him at his right hand, after that, it starts to look like actually that's God's plan. That's God's plan. He doesn't give his one and only son lightly. He doesn't give his one and only beloved son as kind of uh, this, is, this is an option. You might like it. This is his gift. This is his gift. This is what we've got to choose about. And that's why boldness matters. Why we should want to be able to speak boldly. Like Peter and John did here, because there is salvation in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And so people need to hear about him. But there is something more to add as well. It seems kind of trivial after that, but I do want to add it because I think we see it in this passage. Another reason we should want to be bold to speak about Jesus, and it's this. Boldness actually works. Boldness works. We see this in the extraordinary success the apostles are having. 5,000 believers. We see the power of boldness also in the response of the authorities. They're kind of just taken aback by Peter and John, and they don't know what to do with the fact that they're just... They're just not intimidated. They try to silence them, but it doesn't work, so in the end they just let them go. That was effective, guys. 
You know, it does nothing. Boldness works. Now, of course, that doesn't mean it always works out well. As we read on in Acts, we'll see the authorities respond with increasing brutality. Boldness does not always work out well in the, in the sense of things going well for us. But my point is simply that it, it makes an impact. It injects something into the situation that people have to reckon with. It changes the equation. That's why we should want to be bold, friends. Because it has an impact, and that's what we must want if we really believe that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, the one whom God raised from the dead, by whose name we may be saved. So, brothers and sisters, let me ask you as we finish, how can you be bold for Jesus? How can you be bold for Jesus? Bold to proclaim him and make his salvation known. Again, I need to be clear, I don't mean all of us ought to be like Peter here. Not even John, actually, it seems, did what Peter did here. Uh, Much less all the 5,000 believers or all of us. We all have different roles to play. And yet we're all, I think, called to be ready to speak. Ready to speak in one way or another. At the end of the passage, we see that they all prayed for boldness to speak and then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All of us have unique opportunities to speak the word of God. There are people you are in contact with that nobody else is. We have unique opportunities to declare what God, God has done with Jesus. Maybe it's with our friends, maybe our family, maybe colleagues. Where could you be bold for Jesus? Bold to speak about him. What do you need to pursue? What do you need to do to pursue this boldness? Do you need to pray? To pray for boldness, for God's Holy Spirit to fill you with confidence and courage that you don't naturally possess. If you feel like you're not naturally a bold person, don't worry. You're in good company. God doesn't need bolshy, self-confident jerks to grow his kingdom. He can fill you with boldness like he filled the apostles. Will you pray for boldness? And do you need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he means? Just like the apostles, we are in our own day faced with powers and authorities that tell us not to speak about Jesus. Sometimes it's explicitly, but mostly it's just by kind of pressure feel pressure. Sometimes it can feel like there are some serious forces arrayed against Christians speaking about Jesus. Sometimes we feel that more than it is, but sometimes it's true. But we need to remember where things really stand, don't we? I mean, sure, the rulers gather together against their Messiah, against the Messiah, sorry, just like they always have. And they make their threats and their plans and their plots and they're not empty threats and lots of them are quite scary. But none of that compares to the significance of the fact that God has enthroned his king. Jesus is raised from the dead. He's the Messiah, the Lord's anointed. And in the end, there will be no competition. Do you need to be reminded of who Jesus is? It's okay if you do, but get the reminder that he's the Lord, God's King, the only one who will matter in the end. 
I encourage you maybe to meditate on Psalm 2 this week. Read Psalm 2. Like, like these believers did. They read Psalm 2 and they thought about it and they heard in it the word of God about Jesus. Boldness. The boldness of ordinary people like you and me. Like my son Owen who was baptised this morning and we prayed, my wife and I prayed, fight bravely under his banner against sin, the world and the devil and continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant until your life's end. And like Margaret Rogers, who, testified, who, who my defining memory of is that she was proud to be a Christian. She was proud to be a Christian. She was, she was even proud to be an Anglican. I, was, I, was, I saw her in hospital and she said to the lady across who was a Catholic, she said, this is my minister. Did your minister visit? But she was, most of all, she was proud to be a Christian. Yeah, but just ordinary people. And that is God's plan, to extend his son's kingdom. Us. That is the incredibly sophisticated, top secret, scra- top secret strategy God has for conquering the world. And we should want to do it. To show that courage, we should want it not because we like being a nuisance or offending people. I hope none of us want that. I certainly don't. But because we've seen that God has done something in Jesus, something magnificent. He has given his son to be the king in whose name and whose name alone there is salvation. Let's be bold for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.